wait a minute, I already hit it. Sorry, go for it. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to another edition of Holy Highlights. It's, it's good to be with you once again as we talk about this week's sermon. We just talked about Pastor Jeff's sermon, and now we're going to talk about the, uh, the sermon and the, uh, the um, information we gave at the Nazarene Church this week. Uh, Pastor Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself or say hi or something? Yeah. Hey, I am uh, Pastor Jeff uh, from First Presbyterian Church Marysville. I'm also the, the, the tech person because we're using my Zoom account. And yeah. judging by that awkward beginning, you can see we've really worked the kinks out of this thing five weeks in. Yeah. So let's just sit quietly for five minutes as punishment for, uh, for our, our mess up. Well, Pastor Jeff, you have some questions for me this week? I do indeed. Uh, so first off, as always, wonderful both podcast and sermon. Uh, enjoy watching both uh, each and every Sunday. It's part of my own Sabbathine routines in the afternoons. Uh, you know, it's and it's not even really work for me because you know it's. I, I really am getting a lot from it. Uh, so the second Sunday of Easter is always Doubting Thomas Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for all the potential tis tisking that surrounds doubt in some churches, it's riveting to me that the church's tradition hands down the story of a doubter and encourages us to focus on it annually. Like, you mm -hmm. can't, I don't think there is a year in the lectionary where Thomas doesn't show up. Right. Um, it's like we even have doubts about doubts. Right. Uh, we're pretty sure doubt is a bad, doubt's a bad thing, but just in case you know, it, it, it's bad, but falls into some other category. We're going to, we're going to keep it around and make sure we keep talking about it. Yes. Yes. Um, so one of the things I think that made your podcast and sermon so refreshing, I think is that, that you were very sober minded and faithful in thinking about doubt. So to get us into the topic, why don't you recount your definition or understanding of doubt for us? Why well, I would define doubt uh, when, when, First Peter talks about cares and and worries. He's talking about divided mind. So I, I think I'd use the phrase "divided mind" as as doubt. That uh, usually um, it, it's not it's not the complete absence of faith, but it's a wavering in your faith. That there's there's some division in how you're thinking. So that that's how I would define it. Okay. Yeah. I I think it's interesting. Like I don't want doubt to become. And I think we sometimes are tempted this way, like doubt to become bigger than faith. Like I want us to be able to doubt doubt. Because if you can doubt faith, but you can't doubt doubt, then that means doubt is somehow bigger than Jesus. That's right. Um, and that reminds me, you know, like in the, the world of physics, heat and light are real things. Coldness and darkness aren't real. They're just the absence of the real. Mm. Um, and so... And that's because heat and light have properties which can be measured and experienced and utilized, but cold and darkness don't have right. um, I think the same might be true for doubt. So what is the positive thing that when absent creates what we call doubt? What is the positive thing in the absent that creates doubt? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to rephrase that. You, you lost me somewhere. In okay. No, no problem. So, uh, Light is real, darkness is not. Darkness is just the absence of light. So blank is real, and doubt is just the absence of blank. 
I, I guess that's the sort of metaphor I'm working with, just to yeah. see if this is at all a, a right way to think about it. Yes, I probably wouldn't agree. I, okay. I, I think doubt is real. Um, I, I don't think it's the, it's not the absence, it's the presence of a divided mind. It's a, it's a presence of hedging your bets. It's a presence of what if. It's a presence, not, not that the what if is right, but there, there is something there. And so I wouldn't, and I, and I would be afraid to, to say, oh, it's nothing. Uh, for fear that you would you would um, harm somebody's journey as they're working through significant doubts. People have significant doubts, and I wouldn't belittle them. I I, I think they are significant. Uh, they're all right to express. As a matter of fact, that the psalm that I read was a doubt psalm. I mean, where are you, God? When are you going to move? I don't understand why you haven't done anything. And and then and as I was reading through the psalm, I looked at the top of it and it said for the for the director of music which means that it was a, a hymn for the church. We don't sing many songs like that in the church. You know, our songs are all blessed assurance or great is thy faithfulness. You know, it's, you know, I, I can't ever remember singing a song in church. Where are you, God? How come you're not helping me? I feel like you're so distant. And, and, but the Psalms invite us to, to really back to our emotions, really express where we are in our Christian walk. Uh, and, and, and I think doubt is very real in, in some yeah. lives. Not that the doubt is right, but it's real. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we're, I think we're talking past each other more than uh, even disagreeing because I wouldn't say to a cold person, oh, you're not cold, you're just lacking heat. Like, I understand where the metaphor breaks down a little bit. I would acknowledge, like, you know, a cold person needs a coat um but you know still the technical definition of cold is just the absence of heat i was wondering if doubt had you know the absence of faith or the absence of um i think it's usually the absence of information okay. and, and that's why I, I i would not call it um anti-doubt anti-faith mm -hmm. if you will because it's the lack of information and so to a certain degree as as people of faith, we have to move from this ideal that we're going to be packed full of perfect information. Instead, we're, we're, we're called to trust and faith. Mm -hmm. and, and trust and faith's not about having all the answers. And so usually doubt revolves around unanswered questions or underlying questions. And, you know, I think we talked about that a little bit in the sermon. You know, the underlying question is, you know, why is there so much sorrow and pain in the world? Well, you know, I have faith, even though that underlying question's never really been fully answered in, in my life, mm -hmm. and, and I can't give a complete answer to it, but sometimes I just say, I don't know, but I trust him. Right, yeah, and, and so sometimes it's maybe about even not trying to devalue or minimize doubts, but being able to let go of your doubts so that your hands can be full of something else. So you're, you're the, you know, the woman grabbing onto the very hem of Jesus's cloak as he passes by. Like, that's all you need. Just let me snag a little bit. Um, but you, that's, that's easier said than done though. And I'm going to push back a little bit on this because I, I, I think that people, and see, this is what happens. We, we begin to think that doubts are the worst thing that can be present 
in, in your life if you're a person of faith? I don't think they are, because doubts invite the questions that allows God to stretch our mind, that, you know, the neuroplasticity and the, and the ideal that when we begin to ask questions, then, then God can move us in different directions. And, and I know in my life, as, as even as a pastor, as doubt has been part of my life, when, when I've been honest with others and honest with God, God's been able to shape me and grow me through doubts. Uh, much We talked in your sermon about crisis. You know, so, so doubt and crisis seems to be contrary to a Christian's walk. And, and we don't, nobody strives after doubts or strives after crisis, and that's not the goal of, of our Christian faith. But some Somehow through these experiences, if, if we do turn those questions towards God, and maybe that is grabbing onto the hem of his garment, when we do turn those questions towards God, and when I say turn those questions to God, I don't mean just in your prayer closet, you pray, hey, God, I'm doubting, but, but you have a faith community that, that you can have honest, open dialogue about these questions, then, then I think God can allow our brains, our minds to grow. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up community because that was such, I thought, a, a central point to, uh, especially the podcast, I, I think the sermon, though, too, considerably. Um, and, and so I was thinking, like, maybe a secondary definition of doubt is the absence of a community. And it, and it strikes me that doubting Thomas, if he had been present with his community, wouldn't have ever been doubting Thomas. Jesus would have shown up and he would have he would have seen what he needed to see and whatnot. It's it's only because he was away. And I thought you guys did a pretty good idea, pretty good job of faithfully speculating about why. Uh, and boy, there's some rabbit holes I'd love to go down that we won't there. But um, yeah, so like sometimes the the worst doubts are actually just the absence of a community. <laughs> well, and not only that, but in our doubts with the absence of community, see, community keeps us keeps us gathered in, you know, that there's something about a community, uh, you know, in the Reformation, the, 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 what was it, sola scripture, uh, you know, only scripture. Uh, well, I, I think for our age, we would say scripture and community, that, that somehow for scripture to be faithfully interpreted, we need a body, a community around us to keep us from going on wild tangents like people sometimes do. And, and so, you know, w w without community, Perhaps the faith or the doubts would be resolved, but maybe they would be resolved in a in a, a, a way that's unfaithful to tradition and scripture and community. Yeah. So I guess you know, with with doubt and community being sort of all intertwined with one another, and recognizing that doubt is not inherently bad, but definitely needs a good community to be made holy, right? To to make doubt actually a place of growth rather than um, shrinking. Uh, what do you think is facing our peoples right now in our churches since we aren't able to be a, a people gathered, you know, at least physically together? Um, is this a more dangerous season for doubt if somebody's doubting right now and can't be necessarily as engaged in person? Like what sort of guidance do we have for them? Well, I think it is. I, I think it can be. You know, I, I've been overall pleased and, you know, I've made a lot of efforts personally just to reach out to people and see how they're doing. And all, and I know you're doing the same thing, as many meetings as you can where you can just, hey, how are you doing? Small groups, Zoom meetings, just personal phone calls. Uh, but but you, if you have somebody that is a 
that, that maybe is peripherally connected to your church, that, 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 that you are their faith community, although you, they, they don't connect in this time, there's a real risk of, of just allowing doubt to, to overcome um, faith and uh, just kind of let things go. And so, yeah, there's risk. I've seen good things, but there's definitely risk in times of isolation. Uh, that, that Sunday morning gathering is a, is a very a significant time. So have you seen any ways in which our understanding of community is being broadened or stretched through this season? Like, sure, we've lost the Sunday morning gathering, but we're finding, you know, new and healthy ways. So when we come out of this, we actually come out of it with, with multiple extensions. Hopefully. Of community, yeah. Yeah, I, I hope, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will be the, the situation um, and, and we don't just go back to normal. Um, or the, the old normal. I hope the new normal is better than the old normal, normal that this crisis moves us forward to, to something better. Um, so that, that's to be seen. I know there's a lot of um, intentional effort being made to connect. People are being far more intentional in my church to connect with one another. Uh, and, and I think that's a positive thing. So long as when we get back to the, the routine, uh, that the routine doesn't become the old routine. Right, yeah. We were never an accidental community, but it's easy when you go week after week and you're just bumping into the same people to think that the whole thing is accident. But no, I mean, every person is in the church they're in because the hand of God have, has moved them there, right? And uh, he, God is a, a people-forming God. Um, right. God loves to make community happen. So uh we're intentionally formed and now we have the ability to be intentionally responsive to the community right. we've been formed in that's good um and all of that of course will help keep uh doubts at bay or when we have doubts it doesn't become an insurmountable crisis but it's just the new growth edge right in our discipleship right um See, in your sermon, you cited James 1, 6, uh, but ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this verse definitely connects doubt and faith. Uh, right. I was wondering how you might compare that to James 2, 9. Uh, even the demons believe and shudder, which is, I think, James's like coolest verse in the entire letter. Um, I mean, it, it seems that doubt has a relationship other to, uh, to something other than faith in that regard, because demons can believe, but that doesn't count as credit. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, uh, it's, there, there's, you know, that, and right there, he's connecting faith and actions, of course, right. that, yeah. that there's, a, there's a connection, there's a nexus between what we believe and what we do, if we really believe what we say we believe. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of where he's going in, in 2.9. Earlier, he's just talking about praying uh, with, with doubt, being double-minded, as I yep. think crazy uses often. J James is an interesting book. I tell you what, it's a, it's a fun one to go through. So, yeah, there's a connection between uh, faith and doubt, but uh, you, you can have faith and, and really not, uh, or you can believe and really not be acting you can have, you have actions not consistent with that faith. Let, let's put it that way. Yeah. Let's put it the way James put it. Yeah. So I guess I was just wondering if there's a way that we, um, like, we can doubt actively, um, that when we have doubts, 
that we take it to God, take it to community, those sorts of things. And that's like active doubting, which is different than a passive doubting in which we're not sure. And also we don't care, you know, or there's a, a certain layer of apathy, right? Because I feel like uh, if there's doubt and we don't really care, then yeah, we're definitely going to be like, you know, the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Um, I think you'll see that more. And I, I think I use the phrase suppressed doubt is not resolved doubt. Yes. And, and I think in, in the church, you have a lot of people that for whatever reason have suppressed doubt. They've suppressed crisis because, you know, for some reason they, they think in their mind, if I express this, I love how Mara did the illustration with the balloon and that, that if I express this doubt, I'm letting everything go. But, but sometimes when we express our doubts, we're clinging to what we believe is valuable and important. And so I, I think you see a lot of people being cast about, not because of expressed doubts, but because of suppressed doubts that, that they're there. Uh, and so every circumstance moves them and, you know, who knows what that doubt might be, but it's deep inside them. It's a paradigm that they hold. It's deep in their mind. Anytime circumstances change, they, they, they believe this about God. It's a doubt and they've never addressed it or even allowed God to address it. Even though God knows it, they, they've not expressed it to God or in community. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up suppressed doubts because that was definitely an uh, important uh, point in your sermon from the worship service. And uh, I really liked you gave three reasons we suppress doubt. Uh, fear of what others might think, um, belittling ourselves, um, and then our community doesn't allow doubts to be expressed. And so I think I understand one and three pretty well, but tell me more about what you meant there around belittling ourselves. That, that when we have doubts, we, we believe that somehow that's an indication uh, that we don't have faith. And so we, we begin to say, we judge ourselves and right. say, well, that can't be. And so I'm not going to express it. Yeah. And so it's a self-judgment, even if the community would allow it. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I mean by that. Okay. that. That it's a self-governing that I will not express doubt because that can't be in my life. Yeah, that's there's still a weird irony and I'm struggling to say this right. Um, so we, we, we struggle to believe something uh, about God or about the world uh, or God's role in the world. We, we have doubts mm -hmm. and then we turn around and believe, well, this makes me a bad Christian, but we never doubt that belief. Yeah. Right? Like, that's weirdly ironic. Right. Uh, like, why can't we have doubt about doubt? <laughs> I, I, that's, no. um, I, I would be healthy emotionally and spiritually, I think. Right. Um, right. But we're 100% convinced of our own badness when we doubt. Um, we have perfect faith in that. Mm -hmm. um, any... So what's a way to what's a way if somebody recognized that happening in their own lives? You know, they're listening to this podcast and they're like, "Oh, uh, Pastor Paul has said that well, and the other one has stumbled across it. Oh, nice, nice enough." What would you say to them? I think you got to find community. You, you've got to find somebody you can trust. I mean, that that's why I, you know, we legitimately as pastoral staff 
want particularly our, you know, this is not a young or old issue, but we particularly want our students to know that anytime there, yeah. there's no such thing as a dumb question, that, that we will have dialogue, we'll, we'll not judge you. So, so you got to find somebody you can trust enough that you can have those open conversations. Hey, here's where I'm struggling. I don't understand this. Why is this going on? What's this mean? What's God trying to do? Why is God not moving here? You know, and so you, you've got to find somebody you trust. Uh, you've got to bring it to God. Uh, but, but I think it's very, you know, I think James also says, how, how can you, um, how can you say you love God when you can't love your, your brother who you see? And, and, and I take that to a lot of different places. How, how can you take something to God if you can't take it to your community? Uh, so, so, I mean, there, there is this element of reality, of physically seeing people. Uh, that, that's why we're invited to confess our sins to one another, is there's that physicality. And, and so we can do these things in our mind and do mental gymnastics. But oftentimes that's all it is, it's just mental gymnastics. So, so I'm a big advocate of finding somebody you trust. And in doing that, also bringing it to God, but it's good to see the physical person when you're we're talking about these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I thought it was great. I love that book, Sticky Faith, uh, and really that sort of whole movement that Josh brought up. Love that that's part of your, your youth program there and, and undergirding your, your church's approach to youth ministry because, uh, yeah, that's what we want. We want faith that sticks uh, through the whole life of, of our teens and it's, it's lamentable that, you know, some churches create a context in which teens learn how to be better like show ponies than disciples, right? Like they know what it's like to act like a Christian without necessarily being one and, and doubt, you know, unresolved doubts is, is eventually drives them away from the community. See, I, I've got um, three boys, Spencer's 18 and, and Wyatt's, um, I'm gonna get their ages wrong. He was born in 94. So he's soon, he's 26 and Dylan's 23, 23 or 24. And what I've seen in their life, and, and I hope that I've given them the invitation to this, is oftentimes uh, young adults have to let go of the faith to grab hold of their own faith. Uh, that, that until they can let go of mom and dad's faith and our perspective, they'll never grab on to their own faith. Mm -hmm. And so I've watched both of them, uh, my older two, and, and I'm assuming my 18 year old will do a similar thing. There'll come a time where they'll let go of my faith and grab hold of their faith. And there's doubt in that. And, and it's a dis orienting thing for a parent because you, you're always concerned well what if they never grab hold uh, right. but until they let go they can't grab hold of their own and, and, and if it's never their own it'll never last or it'll never be real right. or it'll never move them how god wants to move them they'll, and, and they'll go to their to, to old age living mom and dad's faith and it's not going to be real yep yeah uh, so what question didn't I ask you this week that you wish I had or what theme? I doubt if there's any questions. Now, th th this is a, a sermon. Um, I, I, I'd like to preach in series. I would love to preach a series on this because there was so much you go into with communities expressing doubt. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, and we just the way we're doing things now with, with me being in the text that, that the children's departments and, you know, we'll move on to the Emmaus road uh, mm -hmm. next week. And, but, but I would love to spend a month in this passage and just unpack it a little bit. 
more uh, because I believe there's a lot of people that live with this. They live with doubt. And, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I think they feel judged by their church and judged by their God. And I think God's just inviting them to bring those doubts to him and allow him to, uh, to reorient how they're thinking. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I, I, and I wonder why we do that as a church, because I think your analysis of how Christians behave is, is spot on. It's, are we afraid that doubt is somehow contagious, that if somebody has doubt, then you get too close to them, you're going to get doubt? Um, or is it because we see doubt as a failing rather than as an opportunity? Or Any, any thoughts about just what's, what's our deeper subtext when we see somebody with doubts, why we start? hedging away well I, I don't know if we hedge away but i think for for uh, i think people believe we will hedge away I, I, you right. know I, I think most people in the church not not all people but i think most people in the church um, have compassion enough for people that they'll accept that and and, and they'll walk with them and not judge them not, not everybody you always have a few people that decide that they're going to uh, convince folks and and I think we have well-being folks that oftentimes when they're, you know, you see this usually somebody's going through a, a deep, dark trial, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I've walked through these with people in the past and, 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 you know, oftentimes as pastors, what we want to do is give them an easy answer <laughs> and, and often there's not. And so our people have the same, same, they're trained in the same way that, you know, if somebody's going through a crisis, well, God's going to use this for something great in your life and 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 that's not resolving the doubt and so we have all those little buzz phrases we use uh but we're not willing just to sit and cry with somebody and just just allow them to vent and allow them to think and allow god to move yeah well that that should probably wrap it up uh you know marysville nazarene i i apologize i i really do think that Pastor Paul wants to preach an entire series on this. And so I think that's going to happen to you at some point. Uh, I don't know when, but at least yeah. you've been forewarned. You're forewarned. Uh, don't, don't doubt it. Don't doubt it for a moment. <laughs> don't doubt it. He's coming back around to this. Why don't you pray us out, bud? Will do. Good and holy God who holds us in every crisis and who never doubts his love for us, even when we doubt so many things. We pray your continued blessing on all of our congregants and on our community. Uh, we pray for those who are tending to the sick, who are, who are glorifying you and their care for the least of these, um, who are caring for you in the way they care for those who are sick. Um, we, so we lift up first responders and doctors and nurses and essential workers. And, and Lord, we also just pray for those who are ailing, uh, that you heal, that it's your healing touch in their lives. Yes. Uh, continue to bless us as we, we live through this season. Uh, let this be a season where we grow to know you in new and radical ways that we leave it, um, healthier and holier than when we entered into it. Uh, bless uh, our churches and, and our witness to you uh, in Marysville. We pray this all in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you. See ya. <laughs>